Colombia might be a developing country on paper, but tell that to its South American neighbors and compadre, your economic analysis is in for some academic footnotes. It might be best, however, to begin the Colombian transfer pricing conversation at the country's entry into the OECD. Colombia is one of the organization's latest members, as a matter of fact. Now, you'd think these distinctions would tell you all you need to know, but good sirs, madams, and gentlefolk, if quote-unquote winging it based on whatever makes the Wall Street Journal foreign news front page major documentation audit proof, well, you probably wouldn't be listening to my voice right now, would you? And that is the voice of Matthew DeMello, host of The Fiona Show, Cross-Border Solutions Weekly Transfer Pricing Podcast. In speaking of being thoroughly vetted for membership in an exclusive class of format, Conscious Professionals, you can earn CPE credits for listening to this podcast. Here's how it works. We're planting three CPE code words throughout the course of this show. Send all three to all one word, The Fiona Show, at xbs.ai. Again, that's the Fiona Show at xbs.ai and will respond with your certificates. Now let's take a look at transfer pricing in the news. We've got a whole year ahead of us to be productive. Looks like Turkey and the United States didn't get the it's a marathon, not a sprint memo. The two countries have already gotten the ball rolling on negotiations for exchanging country-by-country reports. Here's the fine print. The reports of large multinationals, i.e. multinationals with consolidated annual revenue of 750 million euros or 922 million U.S. dollars or above will be exchanged. And wait, there's more. Turkey is also extending the country-by-country report submission deadline to February 26th, 2021. If you're a Canadian taxpayer with a foreign affiliate, now's the time to listen up. The Canadian Revenue Service, also known as the CRA, is set to issue its updated form T1134 this month. The form replaces the previous version that was published in 2012 and mandates additional reporting requirements for fiscal years that begin after 2020. While it is another piece of paperwork to add to the pile, sigh, it does come with an upside. The CRA released a preview at the end of November to soften the administrative blow and give taxpayers more time to compile the necessary information. So what are the new requirements? Glad you asked. The T-1134 must be filed 10 months after the end of the year, which is two months short of the filing deadline for the previous tax year. Taxpayers must also outline each affiliate's gross revenue and if it was secured through arm's length sources. In addition, taxpayers are required to present the adjusted cost base of the foreign affiliates shares they own directly, along with any changes that occurred during the year. France is not playing around when it comes to the taxation of the digital economy, and it's bringing the same persistence to the courtroom. The French High Administrative Court ruled that Value Click France has a permanent establishment in France. You know what that means. What's French for time to pay up? Here's the inside scoop. Value Click is an online marketing company headquartered in the United States that sells digital solutions to make online advertisers more visible. In Europe, Value Click International, an Irish company, owns the non-exclusive rights for IP outside of North America and handles the marketing services. The Irish subsidiary relied on Value Click France for administrative financial and HR support for a cost plus 8% fee and played a role in the business development and client relations 
including preparing, negotiating, and implementing contracts once executed by ValueClick International. The issue at hand, did this create a permanent establishment? ValueClick said no. Not so surprisingly, France disagreed. In its first round of legal battles, the lower court initially ruled that there was no permanent establishment as the Irish company was the one legally executing and completing the contracts with French clients. This decision was appealed and landed ValueClick back in the legal hot seat. In the most recent ruling, France's Supreme Administrative Court reasoned that ValueClick International was routinely approving contracts prepared and negotiated by ValueClick France without significant revision, and ValueClick France was therefore a dependent agent. Now, let this be a très important warning to MNEs. Tighten up your agent agreement before the tax authority gives you the guillotine. Hi, I'm Matthew DeMello, and you may know me as the host of the Fiona Show Cross-Border Solutions Weekly Transfer Pricing Podcast. And while I love to discuss transfer pricing, this podcast isn't the only place you can hear me doing it. Cross-Border Solutions recently relaunched Transfer Pricing University, a live webinar series where you can learn about modern-day transfer pricing, everything from methodologies to comparables to preparing documentation to meet country-specific regulations. Good stuff, I know. Chief Economist Mimi Song leads the sessions. I just ask the occasional obvious question. Since our program is NASBA certified, you can earn one CPE credit for joining each session. Pretty sweet. So what are you waiting for? Join us for Transfer Pricing University Weekly. Classes are free, so now you really have no reason to miss it. Sign up at xbs.ai slash tpu. Pamesh. Sharma, thank you so much for being back with us on the Fiona show, this time talking about Colombia as a jurisdiction. First off, let's catch back up on where you are and what's happening in the world. Tell us about where you're located at the moment and what's happening there in terms of COVID-19. Yes, good to be here. So Matt, I'm talking from the UK. We actually, from this coming Thursday, we are going to be in our second lockdown. So COVID is really affecting us. Uh, we've uh, The numbers uh, seem to be going up. So we are just holding tight for a month. So we'll have a lockdown for a month, which means, broadly speaking, most of the shops will be closed. Yeah. Uh, the, the only plus point, I think, is the schools will be back. The schools are unaffected. So I think we're okay on that score. So I think it's just to make sure that the numbers don't go too too crazy so they're, they're, they're putting in these these sort of temporary measures and, and this this is actually in in the uk or, or i should say in england so obviously mm -hmm. in wales and and in scotland they've they've been doing different things yeah but now they're covering the whole of the uk so yeah so we were, we were talking a little bit before we turned the microphones on about what drew me to transfer pricing or what helps a lot of non-numbers focused people succeed in transfer pricing but was it that kind of subjective element that that drew you to the discipline i i came from a, a an economics background in, in in academia so i always wanted to apply economics in some shape or form in the work I do because I did find the subject fascinating and it actually happened when one of the big four accounting firms were advertising for a role 
which which required the use of economics. I thought, okay, this is, this is great. You know, I've only heard of transfer pricing very briefly whilst whilst I was studying, and um, so hearing hearing about uh, you know working in transfer pricing where you'd be working not just with economists but also with lawyers and and, and, and accountants, you know, really drawn kind of tweaked my interest, mm-hmm. um, and that, and it really started from there. I just thought this was this was a great way to apply, you know, what I enjoyed in academia, and I really haven't looked back. Absolutely. Amen to that. Don't look back. And interrupting very quickly for our first CPE code word, and that code word is Quimbaya, spelled Q-U-I-M-B-A-Y-A. That's Quimbaya, as in the ancient indigenous peoples of the Colombian Andes, among many others who inhabited the regions of the Caca River Valley. Returning to our conversation now, I know we've asked you before about, you know, the biggest mistakes that you see multinational companies making repeatedly. And I, I think you definitely added to the chorus of folks who usually say documentation, failing to document, failing to document contemporaneously. What's perhaps a lesser known mistake that you're seeing multinationals making repeatedly that maybe not gets enough mention? In, in what's written in the documentation i think what's really key is consistency mm-hmm. which i think certainly up until beps action 13 was introduced and, and the three-tier approach consistency wasn't really something multinationals really focused on and i think they were very much focused on their jurisdictions and and perhaps fighting fires so maybe just producing reports in certain number of jurisdictions but but now the idea that you need to produce reports globally, wherever you have a constituent entity in your multinational group, you've got to make sure that your story is consistent. So the detail around, you know, what your legal entities do around the world is telling the same story. Your functional analysis, again, is, is telling the same story within the same regions where it applies. And I think when i've looked at when i've looked at old reports and quite often we look for gaps to help our clients improve on documentation consistency is one of those areas where we often see as something that that needs improving so certainly telling the same story factually right i think is really important yeah turning to the subject of our podcast today and before we get into really the specifics of transfer pricing in colombia let's talk about the big picture for this country in countries like it colombia is a developing country and that of course gets into some you know technicalities especially when you're considering their place in south america but what are the special transfer pricing challenges for developing countries in general I think a really good point to mention about, about the challenges is the need to get the, the revenue to fund, you know, a lot of the a lot of the public sector projects, and I think that that's one of the impetus for the Colombian tax authority to to really focus on many schemes, taxation being one of them, and and also within that, various types of taxation from VAT to transfer pricing, and certainly transfer pricing. It's been taking a real lead on in, in the region mm-hmm. and to really focus on it. I mean, what's what's really interesting uh, when we talk about a developing country and, and actually VAT as well, which is really important in terms of revenue collection, Colombia's VAT has many exemptions simply because of 
the idea is exemptions for poorer families, right? It, it mm. sort of makes sense. But it, it's it's also exemptions for VAT on their own have come to a point where it, it's quite often, you know, damaging to the tax base. And so Colombia has always been looking at focusing on transfer pricing in, in more detail. And I think transfer pricing is one of the areas where I think we're going to see more and more resources being focused in terms of you know, compliance, transfer pricing, documentation, and really protecting that tax base, particularly because it's a developing country. You know, there's always tensions, right? Developed nations have had many years of, of really kind of sophisticated uh, approaches to transfer pricing and the resources to be able to, to monitor transfer pricing. And I think now this is something for countries like Colombia to focus on and, and up their game uh, and to really, you know, focus more on, on efforts to prevent profits being shifted and, and diminishing tax revenue. And I think other areas, certainly which not just Colombia, but other developing countries have a problem with is, is access to comparable data. So, so we know that comparable data is key to test the arms length transfer price, but quite often you need mechanisms in place to ensure public data is available. And quite often they may not be available in, in countries like Colombia. So with that limited availability, that again, that, that causes problems in terms of how do we set the, the baseline for transfer pricing, right? So what often happens is if we're looking for comparable companies, traditionally was, was to look at in databases for perhaps uh, US or European data, just because of the limited availability and, and different uh, market conditions. So I think that's always going to be a challenge. From experience in the years I've been you know, conducting transfer pricing reviews, I think data is getting better. So right. I think it's on the side of developing countries. But I think you know, that kind of captures really what I think Colombia and other developing economies are going to be facing and, and why they're focusing now so much more on transfer pricing. Right, right. And I, I can't, I almost can't think of a better example to highlight how mercurial, depending on the context, a term like developing country can be, because for the north of the continent, where Colombia is, Colombia is one of the more advanced economies in that specific region. But when you boil it out to the world, of course, the, the designation that it seeks all on its own of being considered a developing country, you know, makes perfect sense. But when we get into the nitty gritty of what's going on in the region, they're actually one of the more developed countries. Now, this April, Colombia was recently welcomed as the 37th member of the OECD. Can you tell us more about the process and what it indicates about the OECD's strict guidelines for new members? Yeah, absolutely. So if we look at the background, Colombia is now the third member country from Latin America to join following Mexico and Chile. And, and the, the invitation date was back in May 2018. And the, the process itself is, is the, the accession process is very, very intense. It obviously shows a commitment and a willing on the part of Colombia to be a member of this club that the process actually began in 2013, right? So, and that actually involves interviews, right? Interviews with member leaders, 23 OECD committees in all, which is pretty intensive. Now there is that level playing field as being part of this club that there can be real engagement in, in the whole process 
and dialogue around transfer pricing within all the jurisdictions around the world where there are you know bilateral or multilateral treaties tax treaties so i think this is this is a great onus i think certainly for colombia inspired by other oecd countries the national tax and customs authority that's dion at least in abbreviation in colombia has improved audit processes and procedures what is the likelihood of a transfer pricing audit in colombia and how has that process been streamlined Yes, I mean, the, the transfer pricing audit environment is high in terms of, of the likelihood of being audited. And the factors around that, certainly, you know, one of the key reasons, the whole process around the audit uh, itself is, is very decentralized. So the tax authorities have TP specialists, but they're, they're really structured within regions in the country. So, you know, you, you would have Barranquilla, Cali, Medellin, and, and Bogota will all have their own particular transfer pricing teams. So given that approach, the decentralized approach, multinationals in Colombia will have that reach within the country for potential disputes arising, right, and audits arising. And also, I think generally in terms of scrutiny, if you think about the industries Colombia is associated with, certainly with oil and gas, mining, and now certainly with transactions involving finance, technical services, and management fees, you know, these are transaction types which you would typically find in this part of the world. And again, that means greater scrutiny on these quite large volumes of intercompany flows. And there's also been within sort of the transfer pricing documentation space, if you have a transfer pricing file and you make modifications to them, you know, that quite often be a red flag in terms of something that the auditor will want to look at. And also where you have benchmarking, which, you know, you, maybe you've applied some kind of comparability adjustment and the, the support for it is, you know, in, in the write-up, it's not very extensive. Um, again, that, that, that's also another red flag for, for an inspector you know, who, by the way, is probably has very limited time, right? So we'll often pick on these uh, weaknesses or, or, or changes in documentation. And also, if you're a taxpayer who's, who's you know, incurred penalties in the past, you know, maybe for insufficient or missing information, a tax inspector would certainly see you as a potential company again for another audit, right? So all these various factors will tie in to make this jurisdiction pretty high risk, and certainly, you know, as a taxpayer, you would need to be on your guard to make sure your documentation is 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 really, you know, consistent, it's well documented, and, and can really withstand any potential audits. Indeed. Now, with Colombia's membership in the OECD, what is the application of BEPS Action 13 in their transfer pricing regulations? So Colombia has has adopted the three-tier approach, which, as, as many of you know, means um, the, the adoption of the OECD master file, local file, and the country-by-country country reporting. So in terms of the local file itself, it, it's, 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 it's pretty consistent with the transfer pricing studies currently, well, that were sort of being produced by taxpayers up until you know 2016, when the OECD were introducing these changes, and in fact, both the master file and the local file are effective from fiscal year 2017. 
And as we know, you know, Colombia being being part of the OECD, which is obviously the, the main driver in terms of the OECD G20 framework on BEPS, it's also signed the, the multilateral competent authority agreement on exchange of CBC information. So as many of you will be aware, this is the reporting of you know, the, the pieces of data which have been aggregated and we'll discuss you know, the, the, the portion of global allocation of income, taxes paid, stated capital, economic activity defined for each entity you know, among the tax jurisdictions it operates. So the CBC reports that have to be filed, say, you know, by a, by a Columbia parent, for example, will be used in, in high level sort of risk assessments. And, and you can see a real engagement with the OECD when, when we talk about uh, its membership with the OECD, because it now is, is certainly fully open to adopting the three-tier approach. And they signed the multilateral competent authority agreement on the exchange of CBCR or country by country reports in June of 2017. For those who who might not be subscribers to our news podcast, which you should subscribe to there at home, tell us a little bit about what this means for that exchange of information. How how wide does this go? Yeah, this goes this goes very wide. So if you remember, I, I, I we spoke very very early on about mm-hmm. you know the, the importance of having consistency in your documentation. So if you imagine the the, the CBC report itself, you know, will list out let's say for a, for a Columbia parented company or even a Columbia subsidiary, which has a foreign parent, either way, there's going to be disclosure of allocation of income, profit taxes paid, et cetera. And, 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 and what the multilateral competent authority agreement is saying, and, it, and it's been signed by 88 signatories in total. So many countries have yeah. adopted it, is, is that once you notify as a taxpayer that, you know, a CBC will be produced either by the parent or by a surrogate parent company. It means that once that tax authority, be it Columbia or another jurisdiction where the parent is based, once they get that information, it can be instantly exchanged to jurisdictions around the world. And this is a real, this is a real sea change because although the local file and the master file isn't, isn't really being exchanged here, Mm. You know, the data, the core data around where the key people are, you know, where where global allocation of income is, all the good stuff which which tax inspectors want to see is out there and it's instantly available. You know, so that that really means, you know, once you're signing up to to the whole, you know, exchange of CBC information, it's a really broad statement that as a as a tax authority for Colombia, they they really want to you know, engage in transparency around the world. And I think it's a really positive step, but it also means for taxpayers to also up their game in terms of producing documentation to, to their best efforts, right? Right. You know, without without the need without the the need to conceal any information, you know, just to be as open and honest as possible. In interrupting very quickly for our second CPE code word, and that code word is Bogota, because it's been a while since we've done a national capital on this show, and that one is just so much fun to say. Again, the code word is Bogota. Returning to our conversation, now, when we come to the transfer pricing documentation requirements, I, I, I think a lot of these points are really interesting because they don't really fit necessarily the profile 
of a country incredibly worried about their OECD membership application necessarily. This kind of rides the side of that strike zone. It's not necessarily right down the middle here in terms of of OECD guidelines. Hmm. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you know, there are some there are some certain certainly some requirements which are consistent and others which are slightly different. We do know that the the economic analysis must also be included in the local file. Um, and that's that's really an important point to make that we don't simply kind of you know just assume that it can be found elsewhere. It needs to be also with the local file. And actually, before we get to thresholds, just for a moment, where you point out each local entity of an M&E must prepare and submit its obligations separately. And we can cut this if this is two one oh one. But just a curious question off the top of my head. So let's say you have uh, an M&E group and only one entity is really designated with the task of transfer pricing. I can't tell you how many folks on the sales floor, I know you're a director in sales, even when you're doing the calls and you reach somebody who says, oh, I don't even handle transfer pricing. That's my parent company. So what what happens at, at that point? Do the lower entity tax departments have to file something? Does the parent file in the name when it comes to each local entity of an m and needing to prepare and submit obligations separately? Yeah, absolutely. And that's a good point. Yeah, I mean, it's it's certainly it's certainly the job of the local entity to prepare and submit its obligations, and that and they have to be done. You know, if you have, have different entities within Colombia, they will have to be submitted separately. So it's it's really the job of the local country, uh, and, and that's a really interesting focus in terms of transfer pricing, where now the obligations are really being pushed down. To the local country and, and to the local entities, we're finding more and more people on the ground need to be involved in this process. Yes, yes, yes. I just uh, I had an Obi-Wan Kenobi moment for all of my tax directors who don't think transfer pricing involves them, but they know they have it and they know it's at the parent company. I heard a thousand of their voices just uh, come in and ask that question. A global pandemic, a grim economic forecast, feeling the squeeze, an R&D tax credit can help lower your burn. If you qualify, the IRS and some state governments will give you a tax credit equal to 10% of your company's spend on development activities. You can even take the credit against payroll taxes if you're in the red. All you have to do is claim it. So what's stopping you? If an expensive application process is turning you off, sorry, now you really have no excuse. Cross-Border Solutions AI-driven R&D tax credit software eliminates the need for pricey consultants and allows you to apply for R&D credits all over the world for one low fee. After all, why should you have to spend your whole R&D tax credit on getting your R&D tax credit? It's your money. Keep more of it with Cross Border Solutions, the global leader in AI-driven tax solutions. Request a demo today. Visit xbs.ai/rd. That's xbs.ai/rd. Turning to those thresholds, what do they tell us about Colombia, its goals, and how that shapes their transfer pricing regulations? Sure. So, as as, as some of you may know, in terms of the um, Colombia, actually uses tax value units to quantify the various thresholds. So, currently in in twenty twenty, one tax value unit is approximately nine hundred twenty one thousand eight hundred sixty five dollars. 
In terms of the local file materiality thresholds, now for a local file to be prepared, the entity must either have gross gross equity must be equal to or greater than a hundred thousand of those tax value units. So that translates to roughly 3.5 million Colombian pesos, or the gross revenues must be equal to or greater than 2.172 million mm-hmm. Colombian pesos. And this will be for the financial year 2020. And there are other requirements as well. So for example, where you have transactions to the to the amount of greater than 1.602 million Colombian pesos, then these must be analyzed in the local file. And, and the analysis must be considered around the, 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 the type of transaction and, and how the operations are run around the transaction. So it's a very transaction-specific type of approach. And also, if, if the transactions are carried out here with companies which are located in tax havens, so where you have a counterparty in a, in a tax haven, then the materiality threshold is, is, is lowered, right? So it's worth bearing mm-hmm. that in mind. So, uh, um, and the quantum for that is just 356 million Colombian pesos. So if that's the transaction volume between a Colombian entity and a tax haven, that needs to be put into the, the local file. So there's some very interesting develops there, developments there in terms of the um, the threshold. In, indeed. And that's a, that's a lot of numbers. We pride ourselves on being a podcast for numbers people, of course, despite what I've said about my own acclamation for numbers. That being said, uh, what do these tiers tell us maybe about where they're trying to separate the wheat from the chaff here? Yeah. I mean, the, the tiers are really telling us that the tax authority is, is really looking at, is really going for the, the kind of transactions one would expect to see where we've got significant multinational operations. So it really wants to capture significant transactions and also c- companies which are that have been conducting intercompany transactions for many years, but felt you know maybe you know, the volumes weren't, weren't big enough. You know this is a real statement that these are the bands we're looking at, right? And, and it certainly links into the whole idea that. These companies are gaining in scale and size and complexity uh, internationally. And I think this is following that approach. Right. And just vis-a-vis what we were saying before about Colombia's place in its region and in the world where it identifies as a developing country, this casts a wide net. It's hard to imagine any significant international business necessarily below these thresholds. Sure, I'm, I'm sure it's there. It's it's probably not that much in, in the grand scheme of things. The point here seems to be to cast a wide net. But I think this is something that we can maybe give Emini some hope. Given that they've just applied to the OECD, it doesn't seem like these thresholds have anywhere to go but up, perhaps, as, as Colombia's position in the world, in the region, as a developing country changes. Which is great to see, um, you know, once, you know, if you look at this, in addition to uh, Colombia's membership of the OECD, there's going to be that additional dimension that as the OECD, although provides guidance only, is continually updating those 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 pieces of guidance, which will translate back into 
local tax law. So if you're a member of the OECD, and if you think about the efforts the Colombian tax authority has gone to be part of that membership, that that level of engagement in terms of guidance into tax law is, is just, it's really set the, the tone, right? Right. And we hate to describe legislative processes or their institutions as, as fluid and efficient, but we'll let them take the medal for that one. Anyway, the tax authority in Colombia, DION is the abbreviation. They use tax value units or UVT. Can you tell us more about UVT and how they're used? The UVT is, is really um, um, a unit of measurement, a unit of value. Um, and, and, and the tax authority, the DN uses this um, when it looks at income taxes and, and other areas as well, but also in, trans, in terms of pricing. It's adjusted annually by a decree, uh, and it's based on the, the accumulated variation in, in, in the retail price index. The purpose of this value, it, it's, it's a homogenized value. So currently, uh, for 2020, a UVT is about 35000 607 Colombian pesos. The idea of that unit of measurement, it, it can represent tax values, right? Instead of saying 35,600 Colombian peso equivalents, you will just say one UVT, right? Equals this amount. And the purpose is to standardize and homogenize the different tax values in Colombia. We're also noticing it in the materiality thresholds, which have been applied by the DN. So if you remember, we talked about the requirements for, for local file yes. materiality thresholds. So where mm -hmm. we have gross equity uh, equal to or greater than 100,000 tax value units, right? You can imagine the quantum there. So it's just it's just a different way of measurement and it's, it's, it's a way of sort of standardizing those values. In what language should the documentation be submitted in? The local file must be submitted in Spanish. The master file can be provided in either English or Spanish. There's certainly a reason for that because the master file will almost tend to be written in English first as it's the standard global report for a multinational company. The real, the real thing to note here is that, that um, along with other tax authorities, if you submit in English, um, the tax authorities uh, at any time may request an official translation. So, just to bear in mind, if the master file is in English, obviously have access to a translator very quickly in case the tax authority does turn around and require the, the official translation be made. And what about CBCR notifications and reports? Yeah, this is, this is a very important point. So we talked about the CBCR earlier, but it's really important when certainly with Colombia and other jurisdictions where the CBCR is a requirement that, first of all, you know, it, it needs to be declared, right? So if, if a CBCR report is to be submitted, then you know, a legal entity in Colombia needs to notify the DN which entity is going to be submitting the CBCR, right? So if you're, if you're a subsidiary of a parent, then you would typically be stating it's the parent would be producing that CBCR on behalf of Colombia. Or if you're a Colombian parent, then you'd have to state which Colombian entity is preparing the CBCR. But now in terms of the CBCR report itself, for example, for year 2019, the CBCR submission must be in by December of the following year, right? So you have a, a 12 month at the end of the, of the year to which it relates to, to submit that. Now, details for, for 2020 are yet to be published, but uh, I'm sure they'll be imminent. Now, are there any special benchmarking requirements? 
And of course, you know, that goes back to what we were saying about countries like Colombia, where the availability of local comps may not be there. But all, but, you know, benchmarks where, you know, other countries are included is, is quite sufficient. And I would probably say certainly a regional analysis would be a minimum. Certainly something that's focusing on the region, the country first, if not the region, and then you can make it broader. And in terms of, of the testing, a single year test is generally used, although the more traditional multi-year analysis, which many listeners will be more familiar with, could be used, but only in special circumstances. So in there, would it raise eyebrows if you didn't hand in, say, the, the typical three? Um, no, it, it, no, it shouldn't do. I don't, I don't think that mm. would, it would raise any eyebrows if it was just, just a single year. Or just the three year that we usually see for a lot of jurisdictions. Absolutely. I mean, if the three year was used, I would think, you know, it, it would be safe to, to certainly support it with a good write-up as to why that was included. You know, and I can think of some examples, but certainly, you know, where a multi-year analysis is used is, where, is if you believe, you know, economic cycles play an important part in your particular industry. right? So you may want to include more than a single year. So as long as you have a good reason to, to support that, that multi-year inclusion, then I think that should be okay. That wouldn't, but it would raise eyebrows if you simply put it in there without an explanation as to why that was done versus, you know, the option to to put in a single year. Uh, and of course, with all things COVID-19, uh, do you think there'd be a wide understanding for having multiple year documentation just because obviously this economic cycle is so different? I think so. From what we know about certainly this year, which will be reported heavily towards the end of this year and next year, is that one of the options would be, given given the impact on comparable data, would be to look at widening the the years of analysis, that's one approach. So I would see that as certainly being uh, a reasonable special circumstance. And what about penalties? The penalties are, they're, they're certainly for documentation. They essentially vary depending on whether it's late filing or if it's to do with information inconsistency or missing information. But just, just to kind of broadly tie this up, so, for example, with say you have a report, but it, it's filed late, the penalty is 0.05% of the total amount of the transactions subject to the analysis, right? And that penalty is within five days of the deadline. So um, after five days, it will be increased to 0.2% using the same base with a limitation attached to that. So that's one example. You've got a late filing penalty. It's other penalties will include information inconsistencies. So we've discussed this earlier. Again, mm -hmm. that's something in the region of about 1% of the value of the transactions reported, which have the, the inconsistencies that were carried out between the related parties. So that's, that's another element there. There's also an additional one for no submission, right? Um, this is heavier. So this is a penalty of 4% of the total amount of transactions subject to an analysis. So you can see there that that's, that's pretty significant. And where we have missing information relating to transactions, the penalty is about 2% of the, mm -hmm. the missing transaction value. And it goes on. There's, I think we have non-filing of the TP return. So, right. you know, there's the, the, the TP return 120, which is quite often required. Again, that, that carries the same penalty of 4%. So there, there are there are a list of penalties there which are geared on on the level of the transaction to which it relates to. So it's 
definitely worth being mindful of of those values. I mean, they're pretty significant considering the, the potential uh, in terms of the volumes of the transactions exposed. Yeah. Right, right. And, and given the focus on transactions and in, in these penalties, how likely is it that methodology will be challenged? You know, the methodology, I think, is it is high. I think uh, along with the risk mm -hmm. of an audit, I think the methodology comes close as well. And from what we know, it's certainly if you're looking at the methods, the cost plus and the resale price methods are normally challenged, particularly where the benchmark has used external comparables. That would be the case where that would certainly be, be challenged. So it's worth being mindful of that. And are there specific industries or situations that should be more likely to undergo an audit? Yes, I mean going back to going back to the, the the risks of where where one would be audited is looking at the main industries. So oil and gas, mining, and pharmaceutical industries are one of those. In turning to the latest in August, Dion published resolution number zero 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 zero. That's quadruple zero eighty five, a guidance for tax treaty dispute resolution. Can you tell us more about this resolution and what it means for taxpayers? Yeah, sure. I mean, th this dispute resolution really, really comes into the whole idea around BEPS itself. Mm. So it was issued in on August the 21st of this year. And, and the rules are really for taxpayers requesting access to the, the mutual agreement procedure. So, you know, typically used when we're looking at disputes such as this. So the, the request for assistance must fall within the term of, of, of a relevant treaty. And the guidance of that comes from the BEPS multilateral instrument, uh, which is known as the multilateral convention to implement tax treaty related measures to prevent BEPS, right? Pretty big word. Right. <laughs> but it's you know, shortened down to the BEPS multilateral instrument. So it's, it's really, you know, coinciding with the OECD uh, and their views on this. And aside from the master file, local file in the CBCR, are there any other transfer pricing disclosures that Columbia requires? One one of the disclosures is the form one twenty, which is which is known as the informative transfer pricing return. And this is an annual formative transfer pricing return, which can also include the notification of the CBCR if you're requiring to do that as well. And, it, and the, the submission of Form 120 is generally required where the taxpayer's gross equity at the end of the year is at least 100,000, all the gross revenues at least 61,000 UBT, right? Form 120 is also required if a taxpayer has transactions with residents of non-cooperative jurisdictions where there are, there are low or no taxation or preferential regimes. So regardless of the taxpayer's gross equity or revenue. So where a taxpayer is not required to submit a Form 120, but is required to submit CBC notification, the notification itself then must be submitted via email to Dion. So that's, that's, that's one additional return that's required on top of the traditional three tier documentation pieces. And interrupting one final time for our third and last CPE code word for this episode, and that code word is mega diverse, as in Columbia ranks among the most mega diverse countries in the world when it comes to biodiversity, ranking first in bird species. 
Note to multinational companies everywhere, if you think the coronavirus has affected your bottom line, take a look at how it's devastated the economies of governments around the world. And where do you think tax authorities will look to make up for all that lost revenue? That's right, your transfer pricing. You can't afford to be non-compliant, but then you probably can't afford to pay for an overpriced consultant who bills by the hour either. Oops, sorry, big four. We've got the answer. Cross-border solutions, AI-powered transfer pricing software keeps you in compliance by preparing accurate, hyper-localized reports that protect you from transfer pricing audits, penalties, and adjustments. And our technology is available for one flat fee, a fraction of what you'd pay a big-name consultant. Again, apologies, Big Four. Stay in compliance and on budget with cross-border solutions, AI-driven transfer pricing software. It's no wonder we're the global leader in AI-driven tax solutions. There we go again. I'm so sorry, Big. You know what? Wait, who am I kidding? Sign up for a free demo of cross-border solutions transfer pricing technology today at xbs.ai slash tp. That's xbs.ai slash tp. And I think that brings us to my favorite portion of the show. Thank you so much, Pamesh. I think we've had a very insightful discussion about this very nuanced jurisdiction, Columbia. Before we close, this is my favorite part of the show. We call it what we want to know. It's a rapid fire round of questions for a transfer pricing expert. And today that's you. We put our expert in the hot seat. And for our first question, are you ready? Absolutely. Go ahead. <laughs> Question two. What is your advice to someone starting their transfer pricing career? Um, certainly to be very, very open-minded because, you know, in my in my 17 years, I've seen this discipline, you know, radically change and transform. Um, and I think I can only see this continuing. So, you know, if you don't, you know, transfer pricing, although it's a, a particular field in, in corporate tax, it also has many fields within it, right? You've got, right. there's an accountancy element, there's an economic element, there's a legal element. There are many elements to this discipline, which are constantly changing and evolving because it, you know, relative to other disciplines, it's very new still. So my advice is, is to stick with it. And if you still like it, be open-minded, stick with it because there'll always be something within this discipline that can tweak your interest. And once you're tweaked in your interest, perhaps on the legal side, you will see how it translates to maybe the economic side, right? It, mm. it, it really, you know, one part of it really bolsters the other in, in terms of your understanding. Yeah. I, I think even for where the discipline is going in the, in the entire industry and in, in where global tax is going, even if they decide for digital service taxes on formulary apportionment tomorrow. And, you know, you see a zillion op-eds about necessarily, you know, the end, beginning of the end of arm's length or whatever that might be. That's only so true. That's like saying the beginning of it, of the end of Facebook. Yeah. It's not really going anywhere. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's going to be around in terms of, uh, you know, you know, it needs to be, Yes, a mechanism needs to exist really to coordinate the sheer size of quantum of intercompany trading, right? International right. trade and all the jurisdictions around the world that are involved in this, no matter what political hue, you know, these countries come from, ultimately, global trade will, will always be here. So it's, it's a very big task to coordinate this. So we have 
consensus, right? That's the ultimate goal. Uh, and, and at least there's an appearance of, of fairness, right? In terms of, of these taxes, which are levied on these intercompany transactions. So yeah, it's, it's, it's always going to be, it's a, that, that fact is always going to stay with us. Absolutely. What is something you are going to take away from the pandemic? Um, hmm, that is a very good question with some thought. I think, um, I'm, I'm the most inspired, I think, when I see, you know, certainly what I do in this, in this job and in, in this discipline is the, the degree of coordination, I think. You know, we often talk about disagreements between economists and, and tax authorities and, and challenges, right? But, you know, on the other side, there is coordination as well, right? There, if you think about it, um, it's almost like the... the it's almost like the Adam Smith's invisible hand. Yeah. You know, in a way, yeah, there are, there are, there are tax laws which tell us we need to comply. But, you know, there, there's there's a process in place that tax departments around the world in, in many countries seem to coordinate with tax authorities in order to get an outcome that's fair, right? I think that's the ultimate goal. Almost all tax departments don't want to aggressively shift profits into low tax jurisdictions, uh, you know, at least without a valid reason, right? So I do believe there is a there's a coordination which really inspires me. Uh, you know, there is a goal at the end of this, and all these various groups, be be they public bodies, governments, private agencies, consultancies, given their various vested interests, there is still a coordination to get to the end goal. You know, and I think. That that to me is inspiring because I think it yeah. it means there's there's a bigger game at play here, which ultimately is getting some kind of consensus on, on this whole area of transfer pricing. What is something you are going to take away from the pandemic? I would say this will probably apply to almost everything in my life, is probably not to take things for granted anymore, right? Yeah. You know, whether whether it comes to planning what you're going to do on the weekend or on a holiday or knowing that a store is going to be open, right? Just to do your, just to do your basic shopping, you know, let, let alone a fancy restaurant, never take any of that for granted anymore. I think particularly living in the rich world, I think we're very, we almost feel entitled that we should expect things to be there, goods to be there in exchange for payment. But the pandemic has taught me that, you know, no matter how rich a country you're in it's all of this stops right mm-hmm. you have to think and and don't take don't take teachers for granted right yeah <laughs> Absolutely. I, I think the the group of people the most i think the most unsung group out of this whole pandemic and probably along with certainly the health service professionals you know i think helping to on the health side fight it but also for the health of children right? yeah imagine you're you're growing and you're it's, it's a confusing world as it is when you're young to be teaching and being charged and inspiring young minds in this pandemic could, couldn't be any harder for a group, which is really, I think, underrated. Absolutely. You know, everybody you mentioned, and also I've given this so much thought since it started fast food workers in just rethinking, you know, in keeping in mind supply chains, who's essential. You know, and how many times have you, I, I you know, three years ago, I, I tend not to talk of this. One of the, one of the last jobs I had immediately before cross border was, was bagging groceries. 
and it was just such a juxtaposition because I was working freelance and podcast at the same time. And just I have this completely renewed view of of everybody in the service industry. I mean, you do have to kind of look at them like like nurses in some way. They're keeping you know essential supplies moving, and I think that's something we all need to remember. You know, the next time you know certain discussions come up about you know the importance of them in society, they are among the most important. They are on par with doctors and and nurses and and so many people uh, who who keep us alive right now and keep the fabric of our society moving. Uh, now, turning to more positive, uh, to, to more positive questions, what is your proudest career accomplishment? My proudest career accomplishment, I think, sadly, would be probably humbling. But I think to be able to, I think, assist and, and help my colleagues and, and, and the people I've come into contact with in this, in this world of transfer pricing, to really make people understand in a way that you know doesn't make them too estranged from it all i think yeah. i think you know being able to hope i do is to be able to explain in in concepts which depending on your point of view you know you you're generally going to accept about what this business of transfer pricing is about so whether you're a layperson or you're a client in a maybe probably not in a non-tax role but you could also be in a tax role but still need need to to, to better understand why we're doing what we're doing. That's also what keeps me going. So maybe it's a it's a whole bunch of accomplishments, right? Right. All wrapped up in one, I think. I think it's just being able to 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 really explain at least what I what I understand of this world of transfer pricing over the years. And what is something you want to learn or wish you were better at doing? C- certainly something on the artistic side. And I'm and I'm I'm really kind of torn as to what it would be. I'm not really I'm not really there yet. Whether it's going to be um, whether it's going to be painting or filmmaking or something, but it's oh, cool. There's certainly something I there's certainly something I need to to kind of uh, vent through. You know, kind of artistic cathartic moments. You know, through of course. through the realm of whether it's painting or or through the media film. I'm sure there is something I that that's probably one of the areas I would like to learn because I think. You know, it's, it's a good outlet for, for individuals to kind of um, express their thoughts and feelings in ways which are different to what we usually do. And I want to thank Pamesh for joining us on today's show to talk about Colombia as a tax jurisdiction. I want to thank everyone else for tuning in as well. If you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And while you're there, don't forget to check out our short form sister podcast for all the transfer pricing headlines from all over the world in one under 10 minute episode every week. My name's Matthew DeMello, and they let me host, edit, and engineer this podcast. Christy Clements is our associate producer. Mary Lynn Mitchumstrom is our executive producer. Until next week, everyone, please stay safe, wear a mask, and we'll catch you next time. Mm-hmm.